So it was a couple weeks before Christmas, and we decided to do another Backlash podcast. Thanks again for everybody for listening this week. We're going to do the same kind of deal we did last week. We're going to have a guide panel. We're going to talk about a different topic this week. We're going to talk about mm, something they did differently in 2020 that they didn't do in previous seasons, whether it be bait, location, speed change, whatever. It was up to them to talk about whatever they wanted to. And hopefully you could find that useful or entertaining or however you want to take it. And we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Christmas with Musky Mayhem Tackle. Carrie, why don't you talk a little bit about your Christmas deal you got going on? Well, Brad and I decided this year to do 12 days of Christmas with 12 different deals. So I believe when this comes out, we're on day number nine. If you want to, every day is a different, little bit different deal. If you want to find out what the deals are, I've been sending out an, an email blast. You can always sign up to our email mailing list through the website. And then, or you can check Facebook or Instagram and figure out what what the, the daily deal is. Every day we've done a random drawing for a 12-inch Musky Mayhem decal that typically gets shipped out with order for the winner. And then at the end of the 12 days, on the 13th day, we will draw for a $100 gift card for muskymayhemtackle.com. And speaking of Christmas, if you are looking to purchase for Christmas, it is getting desperately close to not being able to make it there. For anybody that's checked out our website recently, we have updated our shipping options. You can now choose whether or not you want to expedite your shipping of some sort and get it there a little quicker because typically we use i would say with our free shipping options we use the most affordable option and now if you'd like to pay a little extra we can get you something a little bit quicker because we've had lots of delays lately especially with usps but we've also seen them with pretty much every shipping company we use has some sort of delay some are a little more reliable than others and so if you want to you can upgrade your shipping on our website teamrinoutdoors.com your other option, though, if you are one of those very last-minute shoppers or you don't know what to get your favorite musky fisherman, is both on the Team Rhino website or the Musky Mayhem Tackle website, you can order gift cards, which are an e-gift card. They get emailed directly to you, so that is almost instantaneous. See, I knew you'd have my back on that one, Carrie. I forgot all about e-gift cards. That's a perfect option, and a lot of people take advantage of it, especially as we get towards the, I'd say, like the 19th through the 25th. Our, our e-gift card sales are pretty good. It's even surprising. We even get quite a few of them on the 25th. So I'm assuming people buy them up, get them sent to their email address, print them off, and go to their holiday festivities and say, here, Merry Christmas from Team Rhino Outdoors. Yeah, the same thing happens for us, too. Yeah, it's a really super slick setup. Works out really good for people that want to procrastinate as long as they can. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. Well, I think for most of us, the fishing season's over. If you're in Minnesota, it closed already. By the time you're listening to this, my season's going to be over. I definitely called to get the boat winterized. I keep it in heated storage, so if things the bite really heated up, I could probably get it out again, but I'm not going to. And especially because I've already been on the ice and of which, if you haven't checked out our, I believe it was Facebook and Instagram, Carrie's challenging me to some little bluegill face-off or something, even though typically I don't bluegill in the winter either. Oh, Jeff, you just don't know what you're missing. And I am challenging you to that. You got your bump board. I got my bump board. I will have a few more bump boards, maybe even this week, the week this podcast comes out, that I'll put up on, on the website when I do get them, the little backlash podcast bluegill bump boards but yeah i am challenging you we'll see who can get the biggest one so i expect to see pictures of your gills on your board it means i'm gonna have to break out my brand new vexlar i just got and do a little bit of jigging is what you're telling me yeah you yeah you poor baby i i am happy though our portable fish house did come out of the rafters today so well, I had all my but, stuff out. Like I said, I've already spent a day and a half on the ice. I went up to Hayward with uh, Steve Jensen, who's on, ironically on this podcast this week, and uh, we we slayed him. I mean, it was it was fun. My legs are probably still sore from all the running around we did. I don't know how many flags on day one we had. It must have been fifty or sixty or more. It was insane. For anybody that cares, we're gonna do a little bit of ice fishing YouTube video stuff. It's not typically our our bag of tricks, but. 
I've always wanted to film a little bit of ice stuff. And with the first couple of musky shows being gone, I got a little bit of extra time. So we'll have a video out. Who knows? It might even be out by the time you hear this podcast. I started working on the first 40 seconds of it and getting things rolling because it's, it's, you know, time's critical. But no, no worries. If you see ice content on our YouTube channel and you're not into it, just skip over it. We'll be back with musky content throughout the course of the winter. I just didn't feel like editing that. I wanted to play around with the new footage and play around with some ice fishing footage. I haven't edited ice fishing in, I don't know how long, eight years probably. So this is new for me. It's kind of cool. So one more thing, speaking of musky content, Jeff, um, Brad and I just released the big brother to the trigger. Um, For those of you who haven't seen any of that yet, the new 1310 detonator is out. I know Jeff got his... There's a few other retail stores that got theirs and Brad and the boys did really well with them on this fall, even late into the fall in some super cold water. And of course, Carrie, you can always get them at musky mayhem tackle as well as other select retailers. But for anybody that cares, we do also have them on our website as well. So those are your best two options. Musky mayhem tackle.com for your new detonator and team outdoors.com for your new detonator and a little plug. If you want to know more about the detonator, we're going to talk about it a little bit here too, but we're going to go a little more in depth on it in the team Rhino outdoors, musky fishing podcast. Brad and I are going to talk about the detonator on that podcast. And that one is out right now. So go check it out in all the places that you listen to this podcast. Yeah. I'm super excited about this bait, Jeff. Um, it's something that, uh, we played with for quite some time, kind of had limited exposure this summer with it. And the reason for that is we just kind of kept it under underground, if you will. Select group of guys got to throw it this year, and uh, there was a ton of fish caught on it. And the cool thing about it, it's a combination blade setup where it's 13 and 10. Tons and tons of wobble to the bait. But after that, there's that oversized uh, large barrel underneath the clevises, which creates a really good grinding noise, if you will. And uh, there's a couple other things. I guess we'll go into more detail on that other podcast, but uh, definitely something that I'm super excited about throwing next season. I can attest to the fish that were caught on. I didn't know much about the detonator until recently, but Brad is doing the editing on his, I would say, um, promotional videos or whatever you want to talk about, however you want to say it. And I think Brad's been putting a new, sending a new video to me like every other day, Brad. So how many fish did you guys get on this thing? Like 50? Man, Jeff, I don't even really know, honestly. I I haven't done a count. Filming-wise, I mean, we filmed, I think, three days. And so those fish that you're seeing on those marketing videos, you know, was just uh, a few of the fish, obviously. So it was fun, man. I, I'm super excited. It reminds me of the days with the cowgirl. Definitely, <laughs> I mean, it's an 11-inch long bait, and they will be gone. I mean, literally just the blade sticking out of their mouth. They're trying to inhale it. So it's pretty impressive. Yeah, I'd say, like I said, the uh, the first video, everybody should go check that one out. If you go to our website, I actually linked it on there too, but you got Matt Seifert doing a nice little figure eight and this muskie just comes up and crushes it in the figure eight. So it's it's pretty cool stuff. I'm, I'm excited to get a couple in my boat for next season too. I mean, there's a, there's a handful of new products coming out this year and those are definitely going to be one of them that we're going to, I'm going to have to borrow a couple off the old TRO shelves and, and throw them myself. Well, I, hopefully they don't disappoint. I mean, uh, it's been incredible for us and uh, definitely something that we want to share with the public. And I can't wait to get a bunch in people's hands. All right. Well, let's go talk to, let's see here, Steve Jensen, Danny Herbeck, Jeff Hansen, and Matt Seifert. Not necessarily in that order, but we're going to talk to those guys about something they did differently for 2020 that either worked or didn't work. I think most of them had some success, but I don't know. Maybe there was a couple that were like, yeah, that didn't work out as well as I hoped it would. But hopefully you guys enjoy this episode and we'll be back with a new episode next week. All right. We're talking again to Steve Jensen, Jensen's Fish Hunts Guide Service out of Northern Wisconsin. And on this episode, we're talking about something new that they did for this season, whether it be a different lake, a different speed, a different tactic, a different way they fished, shallow, deep, slow, whatever. It doesn't matter. Steve, this year was kind of a different year for a lot of people just based off of pressure. What was the uh, secret to success or what did you try out this year that either worked or didn't work for you? 
Well, you know, it's, it is amazing how every year is different. The muskie fishing here is ever evolving. It isn't, you know, and the puzzle never stops changing. So it, it's unique in that I have so many different bodies of water here in the Hayward area, which is awesome. It allows me a lot of versatility, uh, a lot of different choices, and, you know, a lot of different styles of bodies of water, too. So uh, depending on the season, you know, every year, one or the other, one style typically take off. And uh, this year, it was, it seemed like to me, I made a, a sort of a movement from fishing a lot of the smaller lo- local lakes here, uh, which I love fishing a lot of our little lakes. They're, they're awesome, great action lakes, catch a lot of fish on them. Um, but we had a lot of pressure this year, more people fishing than we've ever had. And we also had a pretty warm summer. So combined with warmer water temperatures on those smaller bodies of water, as well as a heck of a lot of people fishing them, I definitely kind of migrated toward larger larger lakes, larger systems. And I also kind of migrated more towards clear bodies of water as opposed to the darker bodies of water for kind of similar reasons. The clear bodies of water stay a little bit cooler through the heat of the summer. Um, and when we have hot summers, you'll typically see where the fishing gets a little bit stale on the dark water or the shallow water here and the deep clear bodies of water are typically a little bit better in those seasons. So um, that was kind of what I did to put more fish in the net to keep things going. Um, Not that we didn't fish the little lakes. We certainly did and caught plenty of fish out of those, but I definitely spent more time on larger lakes and more time on the deep clear lakes than I typically do. Um, The other thing that I did was really early morning fishing. Um, A lot of people on the lakes late in the day, all the way till dark, even after dark. Um, The one time where I was able to get away from people and have the lake to myself for two, three, four hours uh, was very early morning. Um, also could find the lowest water temperatures of the day during those early morning hours. So I would say we boated more fish in the a.m. period than the p.m. period for a good portion of the season, uh, especially during the heat of the summer when uh, the pressure was the highest, the recreation was the highest, and the temperatures were the highest. Definitely with the whole COVID thing and people being free out of work or working from home and license sales going way up, you know, I mean, there was a ton of extra fishing pressure this past year. So I think you you chose the wise decision there, that's for sure, Steve. Yeah, and it was, you know, it's something that, it's not just musky fishing pressure here. You know, there's lots of bass fishermen. You have lots of crappie fishermen. This year we had water recreators like none other. I mean, there was wake boaters, jet skiers, pond tuners, you name it. So the lakes are just very busy in that way. And, you know, the fish can get used to that, but on our lakes, we don't typically have so much of that. So when it's new to them, I think it definitely puts the fish down a little bit. So you got to kind of find those windows when the fish are the most active. And I like being on the lake kind of by myself. I don't generally like following 10 boats down a piece of structure. I'll do it if I have to, but if I can get out there a few hours early, um, get crack at some fish before others are out there, um, I think it increased our odds a little bit. And um, it's just a little bit harder to get people to get up going earlier but once you get them on the program and explain what you're doing it's usually not a problem yeah and you definitely are able to beat some of that high temp water that we're talking about as well so yeah you know we don't get a ton of it but we were right there at 80 for a little bit this year so yeah we were in the same boat over here as well you know that month of july I, i couldn't believe you know the end of june it was kind of borderline there and by the time it was uh by the fourth man it was almost at the point where we didn't fish for two, three weeks there. Yep, and I combated that again by going to the, my deeper, clearer lakes where I could get under that 80 degree and then go in early morning. And we were able to kind of get through, but we certainly had to do some bass fishing too. Um, and that's rare for here in northern Wisconsin. Uh, very typically, we don't have too often where we have to take too many breaks fishing. But it was a warm year this year, and it certainly affected the fishing a little bit. Uh, again, I think a lot, of, a lot of it had to do with so many people being out on the water too. So, Steve, one more question before we let you go. When you were switching up to these bigger, deeper, clearer lakes, were you targeting the same similar structures that you would if you were fishing on these smaller ones, or did you have to make a structural change as well? You know, absolutely not. Uh, It's definitely different. Not that we're not fishing the same type of weed structure, but the weed structure depth changes dramatically. So on my deep, clear, or my deep, or uh, my smaller dark lakes, I mean, typically fishing in that 5 to 10 foot break, usually where you're going to find the edges of the weeds. Um, typically, we're going to find the most active fish. And on the deep clear lakes, I'm fishing generally much deeper in the 10 to 25-foot range. Some of our lakes have deep sand grass down into that plus 20-foot range. So 
Uh, certainly a little different tactics to get lures down there, uh, but also on that clear water, clear water those fish have a much larger strike zone so some of the same stuff running shallow will get reactions when the fish are active uh, but definitely a, a shift deeper in the water uh as far as the structure goes uh shifting that i would say 10 feet deeper for the most part one of the neat things that you just mentioned there steve was that you know you can use some of those shallow running baits in that deeper water and you know you've been over here you've fished with me many times so we kind of have that same thing going on over here, and that sand grass that you're talking about can really be truly effective. You know, one of the things that you can do to get down there a little bit is, is move the bait slower so that it gets a little bit lower in the water column. But honestly, I mean, think about 20 feet. Most of the boats that are out there today are 20 feet long. It's really not that far for that fish to travel to get to that bait. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And I use that exact same analogy with my clients when they look at me when their bait's coming in two or three feet under the surface and 20 feet of water. And the reality is fish in clear bodies of water use distance as their ambushing technique. A lot of times an active fish is going to strike that lure from 10 or 15 feet back using that separation as its ambush mode. And they certainly have no problem kicking their tail and getting 20 feet and, and basically as fast as you can see it's, it's amazing how quickly they can move so uh once you get over that um i do generally run some deeper running lures too and sometimes you'll see patterns where you know a, a different level in the water column is where the fish want to be but i'll be honest a lot of the techniques that i do use here are stuff that is stuff that we learned fishing with you over there on, on milsona and some of those neighboring lakes that have that deep cool structure and i spent a lot of time on lakes here in this area that were very similar to that um, and those techniques work very well here too. Absolutely. You know, it's sometimes mentally challenging for some of these individuals that are out fishing in that type of water, but ultimately if the fish are there, look for the bait fish maybe even too, you know, I mean, they're going to be there. Absolutely. And uh, it was kind of fun to get back into that style of fishing. I, I do love the shallow dark water. It's kind of my thing here, um, but it was fun to be back on the deep clear stuff and, and remembering techniques that, uh, you know, we've been using for the last decade or even more. Um, and when we caught some beautiful fish doing that, and it certainly opened my eyes up to, you know, stuff that you kind of forget about over the years as you get, get in your grooves and get in your ruts. And uh, everybody's guilty of doing the same stuff over and over as long as you're catching fish. So it's kind of fun to do some little bit different techniques and a little bit different water. Well, Steve, we just want to thank you for taking a little bit of time out of your schedule. I know you got uh, some some pheasants to chase down and get ready for a little bit of ice fishing. So thanks for coming out. We will, uh, we'll probably hit you up for another episode at some point this spring and talk about uh, a new season, 2021. That would be awesome. Appreciate it, Jeff. Uh, if anybody wants to get out and do a little chasing muskies in the Hayward area, you can check me out at fishhunts.com. I'm also going to be starting to do some ice fishing here soon. So if you're into doing a little bit of ice fishing, um, same story, fishhunts.com or Steve Jackson on Facebook. Thanks a lot, Steve. You bet. Thanks, guys. All right, we got Matt Seifert back, Muskie Mercenary Guide Service. And today on this section, we're talking new anything, tactic, lake, speed, whatever that you tried for the 2020 season. We've talked to a few different people, and whether you had success or you didn't, we're just looking for, I don't know, kind of just different options and people, things that they tried, and whether it you know, whether they did well or didn't do well, we're just kind of talking about different things for 2020. So Matt, we again, appreciate you taking some time out of your schedule to talk to us. Was there anything that you'd played around with this season, whether it be anything, I mean, we're literally talking just about anything that either worked or didn't work for you for this 2020 season. If I talked about all the stuff that didn't work, we'd be here all night, but <laughs> <laughs> I kind of had, I mean, this was a tough year for me. Misery loves, uh, misery loves company, so that's good, right? Right, exactly. I tried a lot of things this year. I actually, where I normally open water troll, I had a kind of a tough spring. We caught them casting, but I couldn't catch them trolling. I tried everything during that week to catch one trolling. I tried six feet of water all the way to 80 feet of water. I couldn't catch them. But... I marked them, couldn't catch them. That's kind of the story of my whole year. But the things that worked good for me of the stuff, the newer stuff I tried, I guess it wouldn't be a Matt Seifert podcast. We didn't talk about 
hummingbird side imaging, but I did get the 360 this year. That was pretty interesting. I used it. I didn't have it for the open water bite, but I got it in the summer. It was very cool for the uh, structure-wise. I really enjoyed it. A new lake, you run into a new lake. You can see every weed point in front of you, every inside turn in front of you, fish off the weed line. It was very cool. It, uh, I didn't even try it throwing because I don't think it's fast enough to keep up, but I really enjoyed it casting. It was fun. I still don't think it's anywhere a replacement for the regular side imaging, but uh, I did enjoy that. There's other stuff I could say about it too. I'm just trying to quick give you some of the stuff that new stuff I tried this year that did work. But the 360 side imaging for fishing structure was really fun. Also found a few fish on turnover deep outside of the boat, like foot off the bottom and 25 feet that we caught on Vermillion. So that was fun. But uh, did you have 360 at all this year, Joe? Nope. I got to play around with the panoptics a little bit. I have had it for you know, quite a while. But at some point, I just wanted to try to catch muskies and not play around with new electronics. So Brad was yelling at me Hi. actually this morning about it. He said... When I was on the phone with him, we were, I'm trolling. He's like, you bring your panoptics? I'm like, nope, didn't feel like playing with it. Just felt like trying to just go musky fishing. I get tired of sometimes of playing with all sorts of new different toys and stuff. I think sometimes it's a distraction from actually catching like fish and paying attention to what you're doing. But I, and So I just didn't want to play with it. But I do feel like all that stuff has a time and a place, and I think it could be helpful. But... For me personally, I, I, I didn't play with it as much as I should have. I probably should have when I was trolling played with it more, but I just didn't want, like I said, it's got the pole mount and all this other stuff, and I am I just didn't want to, I don't know, I just didn't want to focus on all that. I wanted to focus on side imaging and and, and that stuff. I still feel, like you said, I think side imaging is still the most important of all the electronics right now. Yeah, I would agree. I totally agree with all of that, and... You know, I did have 360 as well. And the one thing, you were right, Matt, I did play with it a little bit trying to troll. And it's not capable, you know, it gets kind of blurry and skewed when you're going, say, three miles an hour. So in a trolling yeah. aspect, it really wasn't beneficial whatsoever. You know, in the casting atmosphere, like you said, I mean, you, you pretty much called it out. It's, uh, it's pretty incredible. And I think... Uh, the neat thing, I guess the neatest thing that I've seen with that is that you it empowers you to be able to prepare in front of you in the boat, you know, where your normal side imaging is behind you or, you know, right below you at that moment. 360 empowers you to see that weed line like you're talking or maybe even a fish. I, I had times when I marked fish that were laying on sand and, and I wouldn't have seen them until I was by them, you know. Yeah, and that was the coolest part. But the thing is, for me, with that whole thing, the stuff I learned with it this year was very fun. Like Jeff said, too, I'm guiding. I don't have time to play with it that much. So I really got to play with it the couple times I guided uh, some walleye trips, lead core and walleye. You're out in the mud, you know, white dots or walleyes or ciscos or whitefish. You can easily tell which ones are which, the way they're stacked up or spread out. So I got to play with the 10 and it worked great at 2.1 miles an hour. It had a little, you know, I couldn't see the full hundred feet in front of me. I'd see a hundred feet in front of me and then pick back up. I'd catch 70 feet again. You know, so I missed 30 feet every rotation on it, trolling at 2.1. But the best thing about it was the structure. I thought, cause it worked almost all the time. And then if the conditions were right, the funnest thing about it was seeing the fish in front of you. Like you said, you were able to turn the boat. Everybody stopped casting for a second. We're going to get positioned on the fish. You see it. If the fish follows, you see where it went after that. If the conditions are right, that's what I need to tell everybody. If it's really windy and choppy or you're getting pushed by the wind behind you and you're fishing a windblown shoreline. Yeah. I wouldn't even put it in the water, but if you're fishing a calm bay or somewhat calm day and you have good boat control, then it's, it's really fun. Yeah, that's all valid points. I, I would agree with that as well, Matt. You know, I, if you're fishing some sand or something like that and 
in its calm, like you're saying, it's incredible. I mean, it's, it truly is. It just empowers you in many different ways that uh, we haven't been able to do before. Yeah, I thought it was fun. I had the universal mount, so I had it in the back of the boat. It was fairly stable in the wind, so I might have had a little more advantage than the guys that have it in front of the boat. I, that universal mount was okay. I wish it was a power pole type thing that went down by itself, so it's kind of a pain to put it in and out, but it worked. It was fun. Put it down on big spots so I could glance at it every now and then, and so that was a fun thing new this year. Uh, I have a few other things that work great for me. I'll say the best or last. That was a new bait. Fishing, well, I'm going to do the sand first. So inside out on the sand. I've never done that before. And it worked for me. I tried it four times this year and all four times it worked. But I've never fished inside out on the sand. And I'm talking big motor trimmed up, trolling motor lifted up, pushing sand. I don't know if I should even go in here, but there's six fish here and three butter. They will not move on any bait. I'm going to go up in a foot of water and cast out at them. And it works every time. So that was a fun thing for me this year. I'd never done that before. Found a couple logs. Uh, got stuck one time, but it was fun. Caught some fish. So I don't know if anyone else, if you guys do that or not, but uh, that was on Vermilion and Leech, but it was very fun. Yeah, you know, it's crazy. I guess I haven't, I mean, don't get me wrong. I've been stuck in sand before with my boat, but I I can't specifically think of uh, a a good example of where I've done that, I guess, where I'm really, truly fishing hard in that type of area. But that's interesting. I mean, I could probably relate that to a few different bodies of water that I fish as well, Matt. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. I just never, I always just wrote it off as it's too shallow. You're going to scare all the fish out of there. But if you can get in 80 feet inside of them, you got a shot. And they actually really reacted to it quite well. I was very surprised. So we'll definitely be doing more of that. Is there a certain time Um, of year that you do that, Matt? I caught one in July on Vermilion doing that, early July. And then another one in August. And then two in August, and then I got one in, uh, the only fish I could find that day I went to Leech when everyone said there was no fish there. You couldn't catch one. It's impossible. I think I drove, oh, man. I checked Stony. I checked Pine. I checked Ottertail. I checked Bungie Bay, and I found one fish on the Bear Island stand. <laughs> one fish, and it was it happened to be a nice 49-and-a-half-incher, and we caught that one inside out on a dare fork, and that was really shallow. But we were able to get 80, sides, 80 feet inside the fish, and as soon as we got, I mean, we casted a lot of times with that fish. And then as soon as we went inside, it ate. It was the only fish we could find. I was thinking, well, this is, I shouldn't even do this. And then I remembered the inside out trick and went up there and caught it on the first cast. And that was mid-September. So anytime you see fish on the sand, I mean, they're so easy to see on your side imaging. So if you can get 80 feet inside of them, I think you're safe. Was that kind of uh, some of the first cold front of the year or no? No, we had that nasty cold front beginning of September. It warmed back up, so all the fish left the reeds in the sand. But we couldn't see any fish on the rocks or the weeds either. So started running sand. We didn't even cast. We just drove and drove and drove until we found one. Started casting at it. Interesting. And the vermilion fish were typical sand spots on Vermillion that I check every day almost. Right. And they're either there or they're not. And they were there, so. How much of that do you do, Matt? How much do you just drive around trying to identify that fish and then go after it? On leech, a lot. It's a big lake. If I if I have the ability to drive my boat, you know, 40 miles an hour and I'm not in six-foot waves, I'll pretty much check the every. Uh, not every bit of sand on the whole lake. That's a stretch. But I'll spend all day on the sand. Because the fish there, if you find them on the sand, they usually react to baits. If you have the right bait on. This year, the, the copper rainbow 10-9 combo was hot for me on leech. That was, you know, and leech is known for burning small bucktails. The black and chartreuse double showgirls usually my go-to um, or a single showgirl black and chartreuse. But this year, they, that copper rainbow 10-9 was hot out there. So that was really fun. 
So on leech, I do a lot of it. And then vermilion, you know, you have, uh, I mean, the four main sand spots that most guys know about, there's about 20 sand spots on the lake. But those four main sand spots hold fish most of the time. So if I'm driving by there, I'll always just slow the boat down. It's just a quick, literally four-minute check. And I'll be like, oh, there's four fish here. We're fishing it. And a lot of days there's no fish there. So I always stop. I mean, it's, if you can see fish in a spot with your side imaging and you know what's on that sand, there's nothing there. It's, they stick out. Why not slow down and drive by there? In my mind, I guess. I don't drive by sand without checking it. I got another quick question then. So if you are driving by, how fast are you driving by? Uh, if I don't know the spot, I'm almost, I have a 300 grotto, so I'm putting in gear and that's it. I don't give it any gas. I'm going three miles an hour. I'll even stop, put it neutral every now and then. If I see a couple, like a rocky area or like, what's that? Is that a log? If I'm talking to my clients and I look over and I'm just not sure. I'll hit it at like a 45 degree angle, spin back around, kind of come in at an angle to throw the shadow of the fish a different direction. And I'll throw an icon on it immediately when I saw it. And I do it on my side imaging screen. So I'll go over and mark that spot on my side imaging screen. And it's amazing how accurate that is. Then I'll spin around and that transfers up to my regular GPS. So I'll swing by that icon at a 45 from the last direction I came at it. So I'll kind of be heading into shore. And check it again, and if that will throw my shadow right, then I'll know. But that, I'll, when I'm almost there, I slip it into neutral and just coast by at one and a half, two miles an hour. And then I'll be able to see it way better. The fish will be twice the size, bigger shadow. You can see exactly what it is with the log, if it's something man-made. And if it's not, I spin around, delete the icon, and keep going. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I just, uh, I think that kind of might blow a few minds, you know, if you think about it. It's something that, you know, I think people think about doing, but I don't know if there's a confidence level in that. And I don't know. I can appreciate it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's fun. It really works well, too. I, I'm i amazed that, you know, a lot of people think, oh, we're on to the next thing now, the new side imaging or the new panoptics or the new whatever. And I'm thinking, well, I can run around with mega imaging, side imaging and find a couple hundred fish a day on leech, you know if they're up there on the sand or whatever, I can find 12 a day on Vermillion without making a cast. I mean, and I can do it in a short amount of time. So it's pretty fun. Whether or not you can catch them is another issue. They're still muskies, but it's nice knowing exactly where they are and having an icon on every fish. And those sandfish yeah, really do like to bite at first dark. So there's always that. The rest of your day is kind of shot. You can always go back there and hit those fish. They're up there digesting. They're up there and they move in and out. It seems like they're not there a lot of times in the morning. They won't slide up till 9 a.m. or so. So they seem to slide off at night or move out to the edge at night. And when, if you're there when they move to that edge, whether the edge is 6 feet or 12 feet, they usually bite. So, And it's fun. You can catch them on top bars at night, supermodels, whatever. Any bait, really. But so that's shallow and slow. It's fun. I really appreciate the sand. Although, you know, where you're at, the water's way clearer. You don't just drive around three feet of sand. I mean, fish would run away from the boat or they're not up there because, like, they, I think they learn when they're little. Don't sit somewhere an eagle can see you, you know, that can come down and grab you. So, But in that dirtier water, sand's one of my favorite things to fish. So that was my uh, other thing that worked good this year with the inside-out sand. And another one I'll quickly touch on because I hated doing it um, was fishing in the weeds. And me and Brad had talked about this last year, but fishing outside weed edges on, you know, areas where he, the lakes were, Brad, there's huge weed beds, super deep weed beds. A lot of the lakes I fish, the low water clarity level, the weed beds, very narrow, you know, half a cast or so. So you can fish the outside edge, inside edge, and your baits are landing right in the middle of the weed bed both ways. Well, fishing out west in these giant weed beds fishing weed edges catching small fish like where where are the big fish caught in big fish and go fish the inside edge too see some bigger fish but then um brad pointed out he said it just crash it go right in the middle you know that's kind of working for me and i thought i don't know i got you know and boats have 
Brad's a boat control freak, so to hear him say that was kind of funny. But, you know, we weren't catching that many big fish, so give it a shot. But I hate doing it. I feel like a hillbilly just crashing weeds. But <laughs> but it was fun. We, we caught a bunch of fish. It, it was fun. So that was a new one for me, going in the middle of a week. It hurts me to do that. I get it if it's a football field weed bed. Obviously, I'm going to go inside. I always have. But if it's two casts wide, you know, I don't, I'm not going to go in the middle. I don't want to scare the fish out of it or whatnot, but it, it definitely worked. And finding a depth inside of that weed bed worked as well. You know, and every day was different, whether you're, you know, two casts into a weed bed in nine feet of water, or you're one cast in at 12 feet of water. If that's what the fish wanted, that's what the fish wanted. I think that we, we've really noticed that the last couple of years, Matt, you know, I mean, and I blame some of it on the zebra mussels, honestly, because the water clarity has cleared up even more than, I mean, we've always had clear water in my neck of the woods, but it's outrageous how clear it is at this point. And um, I honestly think that these fish have kind of changed multiple reasons though. Okay. Zebra mussels came, the water get clarity got clear. All of a sudden our cabbage line, it was always, the cabbage was always deeper. You know, I mean, that was the weed line that we fished. And now all of a sudden we see a weed line that's uh, become more coontail outside that cabbage. And those fish, they definitely don't like that coontail as much. So that changes the game a little bit, in my opinion. And I think, uh, you know, we kind of put the pieces of that puzzle together in the last couple of years. And it's definitely helped our catches. Yeah, I would agree with that. When you when you said that, I thought, well, yeah, it's funny because the spots I'm catching in the fish are when I missed that inside turn and my boat hit the weeds and I was all mad at myself. And then client, here's one. It kind of clicked, you know. But so that was fun doing that. Sort of fun, but fun catching fish. I didn't like fishing in the middle of weeds, but it was it worked. It was cool. So it, it definitely. Uh, and it, I'm a, I'm with you on a totally agree that. I'm not a coontail fan. It's hard to get your baits through it. The fish don't seem to relate to it as much. But I will tell everybody, remember that those nasty coontail patches that you hate can be really good in cold fronts in September if the fish don't want to be on the sand. And they're really good in the morning. They hold a lot of warmth, that dark weed, and it starts to go down a little bit. Bend over in September, and those fish will use that. They'll sit right on top of it. Usually in that 9 to 10 foot stuff in between the shallow and deep cabbage, but Okay, so the other thing, the last thing, my favorite part of the year, um, was a new bait that uh, Muskie Mayhem made, and uh, it isn't released yet. I'm sure it will be soon, but this bait was so fun. I thought the trigger was fun. That was I haven't had that much fun in so long with a regular bucktail. Well, it's not a regular bucktail, but just a, a smaller bucktail like that. We caught so many fish on that bait. The fish, when nothing else was working, the fish were just, they kept eating it. When they get followed, they just ate it. So that was super fun with the trigger. But Brad made another bait, and you guys will see it soon, I'm sure, but it is amazing. The fish just come unglued on it. It's so fun. Um, the vibration is awesome. The grind is awesome. It's a super cool bait. And I can't wait for you guys to see it. It will be out soon, and we can talk about it more then. But that was one of my highlights of the year, that's for sure. And I got it halfway through the year, so I wish we would have got it a little sooner. But it's awesome. So you guys can look forward to hearing about that. I, I appreciate that, Matt. You know, and, and I'm excited as well. It's a, it's a bait that, honestly, and I, I don't know, I it reminds me of the cowgirl in a sense because – of the number of fish that actually participated with it, you know, I mean, they just freaking wanted to inhale it. They woof it. And <laughs> unfortunately it's a little scary in some ways because these fish were <laughs> literally inhaling this bait, you know? So yeah, it reminded me a lot. Yeah. Right. It reminded me a lot of the initial cowgirl fish that we were catching and, and how that works. So, Hey, we got a bunch of them being built right now. So, Hopefully soon. I'm working on a marketing video, and uh, yeah, we're going to share it with the public here shortly. Awesome. We can't wait. Then I can start telling people about it. Yeah, exactly. I, I hate to be so secretive, but you know what? 
um, that's kind of where we're at at this point in the, uh, the world. So definitely don't want to let the cat out of the bag until we, uh, we could release it first, you know, and, uh, you know, we've got great guys like yourself, Matt, that fish with our product and, and do a bunch of testing with me and I love it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we've been super secretive about a lot of this stuff because, uh, it's, it's been worked on for quite some time. Yeah, a lot of work went into it, and it's going to be well worth it, that's for sure. I'm just looking forward to getting some of them in my hands, because maybe that's going to be the uh, the change I need for 2021. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> it will be, trust me. Uh, I certainly hope so. I was, I mean, like I said, I'm ready to turn the page on 2020 for the most part, so. Yeah, I'm with you. I think, I think everybody's with us in that sense. One way or another, they're ready to turn the page. Yeah. All right. All right, Matt. We really appreciate you taking some time out to talk a little bit about things that did did work for 2020. And uh, hopefully somebody can, you know, use those things, rely back to this podcast as we're ready to start the next season and maybe, you know, take some of Matt's advice on certain things that he tried and hopefully apply it to a lake that you fish or many lakes that you fish. But Matt, if uh, anybody's looking to get in touch with you to book a trip for 2021, how do they go about doing that? Just give me a call or a text. Text is preferred uh, my cell is 651-357-8709 well matt once again we appreciate you taking some time out and talking to us about you know our various topics that we present to you we really appreciate all your contributions to the podcast i mean some of the episodes that we do with you are some of the most anticipated ones that we have according to what our you know listener feedback is on them so once again we just want to thank you for that and um, happy holidays to you and your family and uh, hope you have a great beginning to 2021. I'm sure we'll talk to you at another podcast at some point next year. Yeah, that sounds good, Jeff. You guys have a good holiday, too, and thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. It's always fun, Matt. I appreciate your time, man. Yeah, let's get together soon. All right. We have Jeff Hansen again with Madison Muskie Guide Service out of southern Wisconsin. And the topic for this podcast is been something that you did differently this season that either worked or didn't work so jeff once again we thank you for taking some time out of your schedule to talk to us what do you think about the 2020 season it was obviously very different for a lot of reasons why don't you talk about kind of how how the season went and I, i know you have some things that worked for you that you maybe didn't that you don't do all the time so why don't you talk a little bit about that yeah, 2020 was crazy. I mean, between COVID and not being able to go to Canada and, and everything else, uh, pressure was the biggest thing. I mean, the Madison chain is always busy, but this year was like I've never seen in my life. I mean, even normally Monday through Fridays, I don't have to deal with, with crowds. Definitely Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. But every single day was like a Saturday. I mean, it seemed like nobody was working or people that were working were able to work from home. So they'd all sneak out and fish for two or three hours in the morning because um, I always like to start early because I avoid a lot of people, but that didn't matter this year. There was, you know, it was just as crowded in the morning as it was in, in the evening and I've never seen any li- anything like it. So I definitely had to adjust tax this year. Um, I ended up using small baits throughout the whole season, you know, all the way up till when I stopped fishing uh, just over a week ago, I was still using smaller baits than normal because it just seemed to trigger, trigger a lot more strikes. But yeah, in the, in the spring, I'm always using small stuff like the like we had talked about before the five inch rabbit squirrels and the baby squircles and the seven inch sewers and stuff like that but i found myself using a lot of that smaller stuff uh later in the in the season even in june once the the bigger blade bite started going and a lot of guys were throwing nines and tens i was throwing a lot of eights and i was still throwing the the, the rabbit squirrels throughout the whole rest of the season bucktail wise i was still catching fish in october on them which normally i'm always using nines and tens that time of year um, the fish just like the, the the smaller stuff for the blades, and then same thing with the the rubber baits. Usually by June, I'm not throwing much for um, the regular bulldogs. I'm using usually using those in May, and by June I'm up to the mags. But all of June, I did way way better on the the regular bulldogs, and then even this fall, I started was throwing mag dogs and having follow after follow. The fish just weren't biting them, so I switched back down to the the regular size bulldogs, and that was provoking strikes, and then ended up catching a lot of nice fish on them. And same thing with my my trolling wise. Normally, springtime I'm trolling small baits, and then during the summertime I'll progress up to the bigger stuff. But 
I did way better on, on smaller baits. I mean, a diesel has always been an action bait for me, and I know I can catch a lot of fish on it, but it was a big, huge fish producer for me. I had multiple fish, 47 to 52 inches on them this year. Um, one customer I got guided after he fished with me the day, went out, bought one, went out the next day and got a 51 incher on one. Um, so they were producing big fish all season long. That's, and that's uh, the diesel one I usually don't use in the fall either. And I would caught fish on it right, right through November. Usually, like I said, I'm using, using bigger stuff. But uh, even in November, I was catching fish on just the, the regular um, depth raiders. And, and diesels were, were real good baits. I mean, I was getting fish on uh, MX 7.5, too. Normally, I'm running a lot of 9, 10, 12-inch baits in the fall. And uh, the smaller baits seem to really do the, the trick for me all through the summer and late fall. So, Jeff, do you think it was, was it a pressure deal? Is that what was... Is that what was going on with these fish this year, that they were eating smaller baits? Or is it um, just one of those years? Um, I think the pressure really seemed to to have a big part of that. You know, I was throwing the bigger stuff, and it was just having follow after follow. I, I downsized. The other thing with the downsizing, too, was I put a little bit more, more speed to it. I uh, trolled a little bit faster than what I normally do because everybody seemed to be trolling three point six miles an hour so i started was trolling four to 4.4 and that seemed to do better for me but even if i was pulling bigger baits then the fish were still hitting the small stuff so it and it was kind of the same thing with the casting i i was having a lot of follows on the on the big and mid-sized stuff and i went down to a lot of six inch stuff or, or, or what would be considered small musky baits for summer and fall and had a lot less follows on them. the fish were eating them and, and same thing with that i tend to work those smaller baits um, faster, like ripping those bulldogs a little bit quicker in those eights and double eights and rabbit squirrels and stuff. I'd be it was burning in um, even faster than what I normally would, and that really seemed to produce a lot more sp- strikes. And that was just due to the pressure. So, Jeff, uh, what kind of bait population is out there on the Madison chain? I'm not super familiar with it, and I'm just curious if uh, if you got a ton of bait in the lake right now, or if it's kind of down. Um, no, we still have a ton of bait. I mean, there's an endless, endless population of little bluegills here. I mean, I just, I can't believe how well the Madison does, chain does it with bluegills. It, uh, gets fish, I mean, pretty much 365 days a year for bluegills, and it never seems to ever get low. I mean, there's just so many. When you're trolling out deep just the clouds, the bluegills are just incredible. Then there's a ton of rough fish. There's just a load of catfish. Bullheads, carp, suckers, um, and then there's the white bass and crappies, of course. And then we got a ton of sheepheads here, here too. Muskies absolutely love to eat eat sheepheads, so uh, yeah, a lot, lot of forage. Definitely no, no shortage of, of forage here whatsoever. Yeah, I was just trying to relate that back to downsizing your baits a little bit too. But it sounds like more or less you were just triggering fish by dealing with speed, mostly. Yeah. Speed. Speed and size, but even if I was cranking the big stuff in quick, the fish weren't reacting to it the same as what they were to the smaller stuff. So, yeah, it, it might be forage-related. I mean, maybe some of the stuff that they were eating was smaller, too, but I definitely did better on, on smaller baits through the mid to late season than I ever have. Yeah, it's always an interesting topic. I know that, you know, like for us, we have, like, huge explosions of, of perch, and so you have all these perch fry then you got lake shiners that, I mean, it, it's been insane for like three or four years now where we just have enormous amounts of bait. So I was just curious how that kind of related in your mind. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you go into the, anywhere in the shallows, I mean, you'll see lots of four and five inch bait that the muskies can readily feed on at any time. So I'm sure that's a big part of what they're eating. So why they're reacting to that, that smaller stuff. So Jeff, talking about pressure. It's kind of been the theme for 2020 in a lot of places. Has Did you see your catch rates go down much? I mean, how was the season overall as far as numbers are concerned? Was it pretty close to what you would typically expect? Um, yeah, you know, I thought I was going to end up being a lot lower. I mean, we had so much heat in July that there was over three weeks that of season that I missed. I just canceled and rescheduled trips just because of the extreme water temps. I mean, it got too hot here. By the I, My first trip I had to cancel the year was the 4th of July. And normally I can make it till the 12th or 14th, and then I'm back fishing by the end of July, and that just didn't happen this year. 
Um, so pretty much July was unfishable here, but, um, but I, I, yeah, like I said, I thought I was gonna be way behind, but I only ended up 10 fish behind what I was the year before. So I ended up still having a pretty good year this year. Yeah. Well, I know you were on a really nice big fish bite right before that heat wave showed up and you were putting a big fish in the boat every single time. And then all of a sudden the heat, heat came and it kind of shut all that down, like you said, for about a month. So, I mean, to finish only 10 fish behind, that's pretty good, but you also told me that you rebounded pretty well in October and how that was a really good bite for you. Yeah, October normally would be a one to two fish day. Um, on a normal year, I don't know what it was this year. I had one of the best Octobers I've ever had. I mean, I had a lot of three and four fish days. But again, a lot of it was on the, 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 the smaller baits. One other bait that I talked about that I, um, or that I didn't talk about that I should have was the swimming dog from Muskie Innovations. Normally in the fall, I'm throwing the big one, particularly the, if I'm fishing shallower, the, the, the new shallow version. And um, I had fish following and following and following the mag and broke out the, uh, the regular size and fish just started pounding it. So I was still throwing those until the uh, end, end of uh, November and still catching a lot of fish on them. Uh, they just, did, just didn't want the big bait. It'll be interesting to see how that trend plays out or if it stays something similar next year be curious to know what type of pressure we're dealing with. Obviously it's a lot of, a lot of question he, questions heading into 2021. So it'll for sure be interesting to see how, how that season plays out. Yeah. Hopefully the COVID ends up going away and vaccines work and uh, things get back to normal because the pressure on these lakes is just incredible. I mean, not just the fishing, but the, the boating pressure. I mean, the lines to get on and off the lake is nothing I've ever seen in my lifetime. I think the interesting part here, though, too, Jeff, is that, you know, you said you're only 10 fish down for their season. You know, ultimately, I've always heard this. I know this about you. You're kind of the king of Madison, and if people out there really want to uh, put a trip together and fish on Madison, they'd definitely be well worth their time to uh, to jump in a boat with you. Yeah, thanks for the, the kind words. Yeah, I've been, this will be my 25th year guiding down here, so I've been faced with a lot of different situations and always end up to, to catch some, so a lot of a lot of good fishing here. The um, Muskie Inc., the Cap City chapter, and the DNR have done a really good job with these these lakes here, and we have a, a top notch fishery here. Yeah, I've said it before. I don't know if I said it on past podcasts or not, but in my opinion, it might be as good as what either you know, maybe not size wise to what Green Bay is, but I think the Madison fishery is probably either the best one in the state or the second best one in the state, depending on what you're looking for it has the option to get big fish, not as many and not that super mega giant right now that you can find in Green Bay, but you can get size and numbers in Madison, and that's what I think is so great about that fishery. Yeah, some of those leaf lake fish are getting up. There was a 53 and a quarter caught here this year. Um, I had a 52-inch leaf laker in the boat. I've had a couple 52-inch Wisconsin strain fish in the boat too, but those are few and far between. It's just we got a 50-inch size on here. So fishing should get uh, better and better and better just as long as the guys are taking care of their fish and not fishing in that 80-degree heat. Unfortunately, there was still several guys that did it, and a lot of fish, unfortunately, ended up dying this summer from guys fishing in too hot a heat. So that doesn't help, but most guys here are pretty responsible and take care of the fish, so that's why it continues to be a good fishery here. Absolutely. So, Jeff, once again, we thank you for coming out. If anybody's looking to book a trip with you for 2021, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Um, the best way would be to go uh, on my website, uh, madisonmuskyguide.com. My phone number and uh, my email address is on there. And all the rates, and you can go in there and see a bunch of big pictures of uh, fish caught here in Madison and all, any other info that you would need for any, any trips. So that would be the best place. Cool. Well, thanks again, Jeff. Hope you and your family have a Great holiday season. We'll get you back on for an episode sometime this spring right before uh, we kick off another season. So thanks again and take care. Yep, thank you guys. All right, our guest again is Danny Herbeck with Andy Myers Lodge. And today the topic again is 2021 or 2020, something that guys did different for 2020. So Danny, I know that uh, obviously 2020 brought a lot of change to a lot of people. What was something that you found different on the water this year that you didn't do previously? You know, one thing that I started playing around with a lot more this year because I had a lot more, you know, I, I spent a lot more time on the water myself and I wasn't always pressured to be necessarily on prime spots 
all the time. So I did a lot of exploring this year, looking for new water, um, new spots, that type of thing. And one thing that I started noticing is that everybody always gets hung up on, you know, on spots, right? And generally there's a spot on a spot where the fish kind of always come off of. And you can, most times you can call where that fish is sitting. Um, what I started actually doing was fishing prior to the spot and after the spot, you know, looking for those secondary structures that those fish would sit on that people weren't casting, right? They're, they're, you know, within reason and very close to, you know, a lot of the prime well-known areas. But I found I was pulling a lot of fish off and actually catching a lot of fish on, you know, a lot of the secondary stuff where these fish, and they were way more apt to bite um, on a lot of these secondary type of structures where people completely overlooked them. And that was, that was one thing that I noticed where I caught a, caught a lot of fish on. And like I said, the fish were, well, they, they hadn't been seeing baits, right? So they were very well rested. They, they acted, you know, very positively the baits and were very eager to chase versus, you know, you get those, a lot of times when you're fishing spots that are getting pounded day after day, the fish are coming they're obviously, you know, pressured and they're tired because they chase a lot more baits. Right. So, um, I just found by expanding my areas on the spots, I was able to, you know, find, find that secondary type of structure. Man, yeah, I'll tell you what, Danny, this has been a theme all this whole last couple months, I would say, wouldn't you agree, Jeff, that uh, pressure has become such a big deal down here in the, on the U S side. I can relate completely to what you're saying, Danny. And the reason I can is plain and simple. You know, those, those prior, the prime spot that everybody wants to hit. A lot of times if they're running and gunning, they're going to hit that prime spot and go to the next prime spot. The secondary spots definitely have been a key for me in the last couple of years. And that was no different this year with uh, the amount of fishing pressure that we were seeing. So I think that's a, a valid point that you made. And, you know, I've seen it where I don't know if it's conditions or water levels. There might be different factors that play roles, but there I've seen spots that, you know, three, four, five years ago, you used to be able to go there and see a fish or catch a fish every time you went there. And now you fish it and you literally cannot see a fish, catch a fish. It's like the, the spot has gone completely dead. And I, I honestly think that, you know, muskies somewhat learn and change habits because they realize when they pull up on a feeding spot, it hurts. They get caught. They're not going to return to that spot again, right? So you're having all these fish in this system that have been caught or hooked and lost, and they're not using those spots. And well, they got to go someplace else. So there's, you know, and you know, there's a lot of little points and little weed beds, smaller type stuff that gets completely overlooked. And those fish, they use it. And I've, you know, I've like I said, I spent some time and. I figured that type stuff out and like, uh, it's just something to think about, you know, like when you pull up to a prime spot, well, there's a, you know, a little point that sticks out a hundred yards before that. Why wouldn't those fish use it? You know, you get hung up on fishing the best of the best all the time. And that's not always necessarily the key. So Danny, what was the process you used to find some of these smaller spots? Did you just spend a lot of time driving around the lakes and using your side imaging or how did you go about doing this? I mean, yeah, side imaging is obviously, you know, a tool to find, you know, the stuff that isn't visual. Um, but, you know, when it comes to, you know, your rocks and stuff like that, you can, you know, you can see the outcroppings, um, you know, starting to protrude. And, you know, a lot of it too is just is time on the water, eliminating a lot of this, the smaller stuff and, you know, finding the stuff that, you know, the secondary stuff that is repeatable that the fish use time and time again versus, you know, pulling up on a little secondary point and you pull a fish off it, you catch a fish, and you can fish it 20 other times and never see another fish. So a lot of it's just time on the water and putting, you know, using the knowledge that you have. And, you know, I'm not going to pull up on a little point that's in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, a fish can use it, but is it repeatable? Probably not. I'm looking for, you know, your secondary structure that is within reasonable, cl you know, close in between two really good spots 
you know, before a really good spot, just after a really good spot, like that type of stuff is what I'm, is what I'm looking for. And, um, you know, obviously the little weed beds and stuff like that, that's just, you know, cruising around looking for tops, you know, weed tops and stuff like that. And, um, but the main thing is, is just time on the water and fishing. You know, one of the other things that I can relate to Danny with this whole topic is, you know, each year our weed lines change a little bit. And so with that being said, I mean, new, new spots kind of create themselves with different weed growth every year. And definitely something that I'm always trying to pay attention to as well. Yeah. I mean, every year, some years it grow, you know, some years your weed growth doesn't come out as far and you're, you know, you might have a different little inside turn or something like that, that you find, um, definitely with, with weed beds, it's, you know, you, it changes almost every year, like you said. So it is, it is good to, you know, spend some time and actually drive those weed beds on a yearly basis. And if you have to adjust, you know, your GPS, you know, your coordinates accordingly, you know, cause a lot of times you can run your, your waypoints from the year prior and you're not even, you're not even fishing, you know, fishing them right. Yeah, right. Hands down. I think uh, one of the tools that helped me with that this year was the 360 Mega. Um, it just empowers you to know what's in front of you, and it definitely changed my opinion on a few things. Where previously, you know, I would be skirting it, and yeah, I'd see it on my side imaging. I was able to see it earlier, but, uh, you know, and those weed beds change throughout the year for us. Um, I'm sure it's no different up there for you. I know I've fished a lot of weeds with your, your dad and Rob Manthai up there over the years and i don't know you got some really lush just super super cool cabbage beds up there to play with yeah and there's some you know there's a lot of you know your smaller weed pockets and stuff like that that but there are some really immense weed beds too that you know like on our end of the lake there's probably a stretch that all said and done start to finish is probably over two miles long of weeds um there's obviously you know prime spots in amongst that but i mean you could you could literally put the troll motor down and spend a whole day in there if you wanted to all right so danny that's a, a great way to look at things for for what you did do you have anything else to add to something different that you did for 2020 a little something too i mean like we touched on this last time we talked to was you know your slightly different bait you know every lake every angler gets kind of hung up on you know I go to this lake and this is my go-to bait. This is what works. And it becomes kind of well-known amongst all the anglers in that lake. I mean, not just from people telling each other, but from people fishing and finding out that they all have the same amount of luck on this, whether it's a particular color, blade pattern, you know, blade size, whatever it may be in a bucktail or just baits in general. Um, what I found too is just little like, little slight switch up in that bait, you know, whether it's, you know, you have, you know, a different blade combination you're throwing in a bucktail, or if you're throwing, you know, a bulldog putting, you know, a, a blade on it, um, you know, just something a little bit different to give the fish just a little bit different look, just a little different spin on your really good proven bait can kind of get those fish to, you know, maybe slip up a little bit too. Yeah, I think some of that kind of comes into the trigger and what you kind of put together there for us, Danny, and I greatly appreciate that, as you know, but, uh, you know, the small details can make the big difference. So it's definitely something to think about. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's all it is, is, you know, the fish, like, like, you know, especially like pressured fish, I, I, I always kind of relate to pressured fish they get, you can have one season where you catch, you know, 15 fish on one bait. And that's the only bait you clip on. It's your confidence bait. And you throw it and you throw it and you throw it. And all of a sudden your confidence bait isn't doing what it usually used to do. Well, the fish kind of can get burnt out on specific baits, colors, that type of stuff. I, I've found anyway, whether, you know, whether it's actually fish getting burnt out or just, conditions have changed that year from one to another or whatever it may be but just you know slight changes in your bait can like i said can uh can get fish to uh you know slip up a little bit 
All right, Danny, we appreciate you kind of giving us a look at what uh, what you did differently for 2020. So if somebody's looking to book a trip with you for 2021, how do they go about doing that? Um, you know, you can contact me personally um, at 807-216-8866. You can hit me up on face, uh, Facebook or Instagram. Or, I mean, ultimately, if you're looking at booking you know, a week-long trip at a resort, you know, go to andymyerslodge.com, check out the website there. Get in touch with Julian, or uh, you know, get in touch with me. We can set up your package and get you uh, get you set up that way too. Or even if you know you just want to talk musky fishing or fishing in general, don't be afraid to look me up. Uh, I'm always willing to uh, to talk fishing and uh, kind of makes my days some days. So don't be afraid. Well, just want to thank you again for. I, I know how busy you are today, and like I said, I'm I'm glad that you were able to come out and talk to us about some stuff. I uh, hope you guys have a great holiday season and hopefully things change for 2021 and you can welcome a bunch of people back to, uh, back to Canada. So thanks again, Danny. Hope you have a great new year, great holiday season. You bet. Well, there you have it. Perspective from four different guides for things they did differently for 2020. We talked to these same guides last week and there was a different question involved last week. I think it was something about overlooked, underused baits. So if you want, check out that previous episode for more from these same four guides. Once again, we want to thank everybody for listening to Backlash Podcast, and we'll see you all next week.